So we've already heard the good news this morning that Jesus says. We've sung it. We're talking about the gospel in the series in, from the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so last week we started out asking you, what is the gospel? Because Paul is really upset, he's really disturbed in this letter because people have crept in and are providing an alternate gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So the best thing to do is to know what is the gospel, to know what are the counterfeits of it, because we want a gospel that really saves. So the hope that we all have, the hope that Paul has, grace is greater than all of our sin, must be based upon the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We said last week that the word gospel means good news, or good news that really makes us glad. And when the word gospel is used in the New Testament, that's exactly what it means. It's talking about the good news that Christ uh, has victory over our sin and death and gives us life. It's the life-altering, history-making, world-shaping news about Jesus. So what is the gospel? Uh, Paul talks about it in verse 4 of chapter 1, where we were last week. I'll just read that verse. Paul says, here is a version of the gospel. This is really the heart of the gospel. Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from evil. Uh, another way to, to summarize the gospel is this way. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again. Eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That is great news. Where Paul ended up in the first 10 verses, last week, verse 10, uh, in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, Am I now seeking to the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul said that because the, those who were bringing a distorted gospel were trying to insinuate that Paul didn't really bring the full gospel. There's something he was holding back. They said something like this, Paul, what Paul said is as good as, as, as far as it goes, but he really is not telling you the whole story. And where they go later in Galatians is there's things that they wanted to add on to the gospel. There's things they wanted to add on to say you must do these things in order to be approved and really fully accepted by God. The gospel is a, that Paul brought you is an okay starting point, but it really doesn't tell you the whole story. And so Paul is really eager to straighten out that distortion that they're bringing because that distortion, if you buy into it, cannot save. And so that's why Paul is so upset. That's why last week we read that he said, if anyone brings to you a gospel other than the one I brought to you, let him be accursed. Paul didn't say that because he was in a bad mood that day. He said, because a false gospel will deceive you and cannot save you, then people who bring a false gospel deserve eternal punishment. So that's how serious it is. That's what is at stake in getting the gospel wrong or right, as the case may be. So Paul, uh, today we're going to see how Paul goes to great lengths to confirm how he received the gospel and his call as an apostle. Because the false teachers are trying to cast doubt on the fact that, that Paul has the authority to preach the true gospel. So what we're going to see today is Paul has a lot to say about the legitimacy of his testimony, the legitimacy of his apostleship, as it were, 
not because he's an egomaniac or super insecure, but because um, he's concerned that they don't buy into a distorted gospel. So let's look at today's text, which is verse 11 through 24, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. Paul writes this, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. May God help us understand and grasp and worship in light of the meaning of his, of his word. So he's at pains to point out, I want you to know the gospel is not man's gospel. It was not invented by people. It didn't result from Paul's or any of the apostles' own reasoning. It was not passed on to Paul through human religious tradition. No one taught him the gospel. He received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When he was confronted with the resurrected Christ on his way to arrest Christians in Damascus, Syria. Syria. Something in the news about Syria. Maybe I'm wrong. What is it about the gospel that could only be revealed by Jesus Christ? Why couldn't this have just been something he figured out or something that was passed down? What is it about the gospel he was so at pains to say that it's not man's gospel, it had to be revealed through and by Jesus Christ. Well, for one thing, it's about who Jesus is. The good news, the gospel, is about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Uh, He's also perfect man. He's both God-man. No one would have made that up. No one could have understood that, except Jesus revealed that to the apostles who have passed it down to us. So, number one, uh, the gospel had to be revealed because it's about Jesus Christ. It's not something we could figure out except that it's revealed to us. Uh, Another thing is that Jesus died for sins. That he died is a historical fact. That's true. But that he died bearing God's judgment for our sin had to be revealed. You couldn't see that happening. You couldn't see him bearing sin on the cross. You couldn't see sins on him. That had to be revealed by Jesus. This is what took place in his death on the cross. That had to be revealed. Jesus rose from the dead is another historical fact. The 11 disciples and others who had saw him die and knew that he had died uh, saw him alive and they, bore test, they staked their lives in the fact that he had been raised from the dead. But uh, the fact that Paul would have never, absolutely never believed it had he not seen the risen Christ 
Not just a hallucination, not just a dream, but the actual resurrected Christ in the flesh, in his resurrected glory. Paul had to see that if he was ever going to believe it and be able to, to uh, uh, preach the gospel for, for all that it cost him. And also the fact that we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in the finished work of Christ alone on the cross and his resurrection. We would have never gotten that because people don't naturally believe that. We talked about last week there are other ways that we will believe almost anything but the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so that had to be revealed to Paul. And also the fact that Jews and Gentiles would both be saved on the same basis and the Gentiles did not need to adopt the outward forms of the Old Covenant, uh, that had to be revealed too, that you don't have to become Jewish to be saved. That was radical news for back then. And of course, that's this big sticking point in this letter. So Paul is really at pains to emphasize the gospel did not originate from man. He received it in a unique way by revelation. Moving on to verses 13 and 14. Paul is saying, there's nothing in my religious background that prepared me to, re- to accept the gospel. I was not primed to receive the gospel. There wasn't any way Paul would have invented this gospel on his own. Absolutely no way. And he was not predisposed to believe it at all. Before Christ revealed himself to Paul, Paul violently persecuted God's church, trying to destroy it. He was out to destroy the church and destroy any remnant of the gospel. That alone should have disqualified him for service to Christ. Though Paul spoke often about his campaign of persecution against God's church. He didn't do it to brag and say, look how bad I was. He did it to show how great God's grace was. Just like with Paul this morning. Paul's testimony is not, hey, look how bad I was, but look how great God's grace is in my life. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, not this Paul, uh, Paul was progressing in his religious devotion in Judaism, he said, far beyond many of his peers. He was extremely zealous for his religious traditions. There is no persecutor like a religious persecutor, right? Who were Jesus' worst enemies? They were the religious, the religious professionals of his day. Jesus told his disciples that those who would kill them think they were serving God. And that's exactly where Paul was at. Paul thought he was serving God by killing Christians and having them arrested and trying to extinguish the church. Some of you have experienced this in receiving the gospel, that those who oppose you the most do it on some kind of religious basis, uh, whether it's you know, their religious backgrounds or traditional Christian sort of backgrounds that are not truly Christian backgrounds, whatever, cults, occult, or religious-like zeal for family traditions or social customs and norms, uh, people who are re- religiously devoted to some system that the gospel bumps up against, they are the worst persecutors. If you don't care much about it, then you're not as zealous. Well, Paul's point is he was completely sold out to his professional and moral religiosity. And so he was so radically anti-gospel, so radically anti-Christian, the external customs that he, pr- that he held to, that there's no way he would have ever just believed the gospel. He was not ready at all to believe it. He was totally ready to destroy it. But the good news we see in verses 15 through 17. Um, In verses 15 to 17, although nothing in Paul's former blind anti-gospel religious zeal prepared him to receive the gospel of Christ, much less be an apostle of the gospel of Christ, 
God's intervening grace overcame all the anti-gospel in Paul. And if you're a Christian here today, that's because God's grace, by his grace, he overcame all of the anti-gospel in you and I that we would see the glory of the gospel of Christ and see it as the only hope and the greatest hope and the absolute hope for salvation. Paul said, when he who set me apart before I was born, so literally from my mother's womb, Paul already had desi- God had already designed that Paul would be not only converted, but be an apostle. Paul already knew, God already knew how radically disqualified Paul would be to, to be in that position. He was not shocked when Paul converted to Christ, and the same is true for us, because he purposed before Paul was born to arrest him by his grace, to intercept him by his grace, to draw him to himself by his grace. We think people who are overt sinners in terms of things like sex, drugs, alcohol, and crime are the least likely to be saved. But in reality, many more of these types come to Jesus than did the religious elite, like Paul. The opposite of grace is not depravity, but trust in self. The opposite of grace is not depravity, but trust in self. So Paul said in Philippians, he said, if anybody had a, a, a reason to trust in my religiosity, it was I. I outstripped everybody. I was the ultimate religious person. But why did God, God call Paul by his grace when Paul was such a wretch? I mean, why did he? Why did, why did God call Paul by his grace when Paul was so rotten? Well, you really want to know? Well, Paul says it right here. He says, because it pleased God to do so. That's the answer we get. It pleased God to do so. God was delighted to save Paul. Literally, that's what it means. He it gave God pleasure to save Paul. It, he delighted in it. Not because Paul's horrible sins were, after all, no big deal to God after all, but because Christ, because Christ pleased God by bearing Paul's sins and taking Paul's punishment. And because Christ pleased God as his beloved Son who perfectly obeyed the Father. And because Christ was pleasing to God, it pleased God to save Paul through Christ. So it wasn't about Paul. It was about who Jesus was for Paul. And that's true of every one of us here today. It wasn't because he looked and saw you're most likely to succeed or, hey, this person would make a great Christian. It was because of Christ and what Christ has done for us that God's pleased to save us. So how did God save Paul? He says, by revealing his son to Paul. Because in saving Paul, God was also sending him as an apostle. He revealed his son to Paul through a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. Certain that nothing else would have convinced Paul, absolutely nothing else would have convinced Paul, except a true encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. He was so radically opposed to the gospel. And this is how God saves people by his grace. He reveals his son to us. Not as he did to Paul. Don't expect the resurrected Christ to show up to save you uh, in, the, in his actual appearance. He could do that, but he did it for the apostle Paul. But now we receive that apostolic testimony in the New Testament. That's where we get the apostolic testimony of the resurrected Christ. Um, and in revealing his son to us, he also reveals him in us. So he reveals his son to us. He personally reveals himself to us through the Word of God, through the Gospel taught and preached and read and studied and talked about, that is how God calls us to Himself, by revealing Christ to us through the Gospel. So do you know, 
did you realize how pleased God was to save you? If you are a Christian here today, God wasn't grumpy about, oh, shoot, I've got to save that person because Jesus paid the price. That's, he does not have a bad attitude about saving you. He has, a, he has a, a joyful attitude about saving anyone who turns to him through Jesus. So God was pleased to save you, that it delighted God to reveal his Son to you and in you. By his grace, he was pleased to draw us to his Son, Jesus Christ, to reveal the glory and beauty of Jesus. That is how any of us would ever... Well, we're only going to choose something that seems good to us. And God, by his grace, shows us the goodness of Christ's salvation and draws us to himself. That is pure grace. We might understand God saving Paul by his grace, but making him an apostle. But God called him as an apostle by his grace. And Paul talks a lot about that in other scripture. All over the place, he says, the only reason I'm an apostle is because of the grace of God. And so he's not boasting. He's opposite of boasting. He's saying, I don't deserve it. I, I am the most obvious example of grace to be committed and commissioned to testify to the goodness of Christ of anybody in history. And, and so that is how God used Paul. So what is true of, of Paul is true of each of us who are Christians. If I'm a Christian and you're a Christian today, it's not because you pursued God and finally convinced him to fork over his grace and save you. No. It's because God freely chose to save you through his grace, overcoming your resistance and rebellion by his grace so that through faith he saved you by his grace and he commissions us, not in the same way he did Paul, but he commissions us to make Christ known. So we're supposed to leak out Jesus wherever we are. Paul, in verse 16, goes on and says, when he received the gospel and his apostolic commission, he didn't consult with anyone. He didn't go to Jerusalem as if he had to validate his gospel with headquarters. Instead, he went from uh, Damascus to Arabia for a while, and that was right next to Syria, and then he came back to Damascus, Syria. And he said, during none of that time did I consult with any other apostles. So he makes the point of, again, of this, not out of pride, like, hey, I got it all figured out myself, but because God truly revealed to him the gospel and, and he didn't need to go have it validated because he had the same gospel that they did. In verses 18 to 20, he talks about, finally, after three years, he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, and he stayed with him 15 days. So 15 days, maybe to learn a little bit more about the actual earthly life of Jesus, that Paul didn't, didn't have that knowledge, but he, he was not discipled by the other uh, apostles. Not in 15 days he wasn't. And he said, the only other apostle I met was James. That was one of Jesus' brothers, James, the head of the Jerusalem church. And he said, what I write to you, I'm not lying. So Paul absolutely affirmed that he did receive the gospel by direct revelation of, uh, from Jesus and of Jesus and that he was not dependent on the other apostles at all. And finally, in verses 21 to 24, he says, I went to Syria and Cilicia, which is southern Turkey, um, not in Israel, where the other apostles ministered, not under their jurisdiction. He says, in another text, he says, I made it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. So Paul, in verse 22, says, I was relatively unknown, uh, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout Judea, which was basically Israel. Um, and then in verse 23, he says, the only knowledge that the Judean churches had of Paul 
was that some members were beginning to hear about Paul's conversion and gospel preaching and began to spread the word through tweeting and Facebook that he, right, you got that, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Preach, that word means gospel preaching, the faith, the gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and his death and resurrection alone. That was Paul's gospel. It was the apostolic gospel that the Judean churches had received and believed. So they heard, hey, this guy who was trying to destroy us is now preaching the same faith that we believe. And he says in verse 24, the Judean churches glorified God as they heard Paul was preaching the same faith. Paul was not preaching a different gospel from the other apostles. He was preaching the faith he kept trying to destroy. Paul said in his former life, before coming to Christ, he tried to destroy the churches. So here in verse 23, they're saying he tried to destroy the faith. Back in verse 13, he said, I was trying to destroy the churches. When you, when you physically persecute the church, when you kill and, and harm and arrest Christians, that's harmful, that hurts, that's painful, that's discouraging, that's, that is, does do certain harm to the church. But what typically happens throughout church history is where the church has been persecuted, it multiplies. So physical persecution is bad, and we don't want it. But when it happens, the church usually grows. But if you really want to destroy the church, add to the gospel. Uh, make it more appealing to human wisdom. Uh, downgrade it by, by presuming to upgrade it, like they were trying to do uh, to the Galatians. So Paul, in, with that same zeal in which he once tried to destroy the church, now seeks to defend the church from being destroyed by a distorted gospel, which is really a non-gospel, as he said. No gospel at all. That sounds deceptively like the real thing. It's like cyanide poisoning. Gradually, you can get cyanide from all kinds of sources, and it gradually builds up in your body and becomes all kinds of brain, um, brain destruction brain problems, body begins to malfunction, you can end up in a coma. So that gradual slipping in of the poison adds up and, and brings about destruction. That's what was, could have happened to the church in Paul's day. That's why he's so zealous to defend uh, the true gospel. That was because he had brought them the, the gospel. It was dependent upon their understanding of who he was. So Paul knew that God had called him to salvation in Christ by grace and to his apostleship by grace. He didn't deserve to be saved or sent, and he never would deserve it, ever, no matter how successful, quote-unquote, he was. He would never keep himself saved by his own goodness, as he once believed, nor be able to serve Christ in his own strength. Only and always, Paul recognized, whether for salvation or his apostleship, always and only by grace. So the gospel of the grace of God in Christ is not just the launching pad for the Christian life to get us started, then we take over. Well, Paul was not trimming the gospel of the grace of Christ, of that which would make it stronger. It was the gospel-distorting teachers who were muting the saving and transforming power of the gospel by distorting it. So what we need to do is glorify God for calling us to life in Jesus through the gospel of his powerful grace. And as we carry out the apostolic mission of spreading the gospel among the nations and our neighbors, um, among those who have never heard or lived under the gospel, let us never make our external religious customs sound like part of the gospel. So it's because what we're trying to communicate is as if what we do or don't do or how we do things in our religious culture makes us more or less acceptable to God because Christ 
is the only one who is acceptable to God. We are accepted by God once for all in Christ. If we come to him by faith, we are completely accepted by God. We're never made more acceptable by what we do. We'll talk about how we do, why we do what we do as Christians in terms of obedience, but it's not because we're growing and earning or meriting God's love or acceptability. It's completely always and only by grace, by grace alone that we're saved, by grace alone that we live, by the power of the gospel. Well, that was a lot. I'm going to pray. And we're, uh, uh, some of you have money is burning a hole in your pocket, so you need to give it this morning. That would be for church family members. Uh, if you're visiting, by the way, I'm Pastor Gary Smith. I didn't introduce myself if you're new. Uh, so let's pray and let's prepare to give as a church family. And then we're going to hear uh, a, a word from Kaylin, I think, about the Sunday night kids program. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you have so richly given to us in Jesus Christ. We are so hardwired to think that there's something we can do to either pay off our sin or to earn your favor. And that's why we need the gospel always again and again and again to purge out the anti-gospel from our bloodstream, from our heart, from our spirit. And to really in it see that it's only through the gospel that we know Christ, that you draw us to Christ, you show us the beauty of Christ, you show us the saving glory of Christ, the excellence of Jesus. You've revealed him to us through the gospel. And, and so, Father, may we be gospel people, good news people. Yes, we still, in this life, fumble and stumble along, out of line with the, the grace by which we have been saved. And yet, it's that same grace that keeps us constantly believing in Jesus, in, his, in him. It's him alone, Father, who is our hope of salvation and life. It's him alone who has rescued us from our sin and given us the gift of life. Oh God, may we rejoice in the gospel of grace. May we constantly be refocusing over and over and over again on how great Christ's salvation is, knowing that we're, we're never earning, meriting your love. We don't increase in favor with you by anything we do or are. It's only by your grace. So thank you, Father, for showing us Christ through the gospel. It's in his name we pray. Amen.